So this is how I know Expedia's marketing team is out of touch. Sort okay. Of. Okay. Anyway, par- point being, they had a Super Bowl commercial with Ewan McGregor, and one of the lines in the commercial is, "Have you ever regretted not buying something like, or like an, a something, a thing that you didn't buy, hmm. or a place that you didn't go?" And he like walks out into like some like picturesque beast beach or something. Right. Yes, there are plenty of things I've regretted not buying. Thank you for rubbing it in my face, Ewan McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say out of touch, you mean out of touch with you specifically, Will William Freeland. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, so like it aired and now it's like in regular rotation. Mm-hmm. And so I see it because mm-hmm. Hulu and Paramount Plus still have ads. Right. And Paramount Plus has some good shows, by the way. Mm. It's like the one the one streaming service that I have not fucked with. Yeah, it's I mean it's not entirely worth your time unless <laughs> you know it has things that you're about. So like Alana likes the trashy reality shows and so sure. it has like the challenge and everything that the road rules turned into is now the challenge. Oh and she okay. loves that. Sure. But then also it has this show called Ghosts, which is surprisingly hilarious. <laughs> so that's been a fun watch. We just started Superstore. Okay. Having worked in retail in my life. Yeah, I've heard that's some, a good one. There's some good good jokes here and there. It's not mm-hmm. amazing. We're only two sure. episodes in, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Also, it has, has 1883, which is a prequel show to Yellowstone, which is probably I've heard good my things favorite about too. show that yeah. I've watched. Wow. Yellowstone is so amazing. Wow. It is so good. If in the in the in the realm of like drama shows, like hour long drama shows, mm-hmm. Yellowstone might be the best I've ever seen. Wow, that's that's really saying a lot. Holy crap! It's so good, and it is wow. a, it's so like <laughs> patting myself on the back here. I've gotten so <laughs> many people to watch Yellowstone and then text me randomly. About the season finale to season three, <laughs> be okay. like, that's where they left it off. I'm like, I know. <laughs> or like, how are they going to end it like that? And I got to write back and be like, oh, did you catch up on Yellowstone? It's <laughs> 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 like, dude, yeah. Like, Carlos is texting me, Curtis is texting me, Joey Good, who is one of the nice. pickiest first people I've ever met in my entire life, yeah. has texted me, being like, um, I need more now. <laughs> so, to the point where like, I kind of want to screenshot all of the texts I've gotten about Yellowstone and be like, guys, <laughs> take it from these very unrelated people. <laughs> Yellowstone's <laughs> awesome. But anyway, 1883 is a prequel to Yellowstone that has that is very much a standalone thing, but it's written by the same guy. Oh, interesting. And like, you could just watch 1883 and you'd be fine with it. Oh, cool. One season, 10 episodes, one and done. Mm-hmm. Like, it did so well that the company, I guess Paramount, was like, let's buy another season. And the writer's like, no. <laughs> like, this is, I wrote this story to be 10 episodes, to be one season. That's it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're keeping it here. Props to not let money change your story. Yeah, no kidding. Just conceptually, it's a tough thing big to do. picture. Yeah. D&D. Fuck that up for Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but like it's 
Yellows, I can't recommend Yellowstone enough. The the amount that I've recommended Shit's Creek for people looking for <laughs> like funny sitcom, like happy laugh shows. Yeah. I even more so recommend Yellowstone for wow. a drama show. Okay. It's tough because you look at it and you're like, why do I want to watch a show about cowboys? <laughs> sure. But holy crap. Okay. So damn Sweet. good. Sweet. So good. Anyway. I, I, I ended up watching Shit's Creek like, you know, five years after your recommendation. So yeah, maybe someday I'll get around to this one. There's hope. There's hope. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, main point being, yes, you and McGregor, they're an Expedia. There are things that I've regretted not buying in my life. How dare you imply that travel is more important? So uncivilized. <laughs> well, I'm glad say- I know where where uh, where I stand with this upcoming trip that you're taking. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> how dare you? First of all, <laughs> but like, fucking, we used to have this live, laugh, love type sign in our bathroom mm-hmm. that said travel. The only thing you buy that makes you richer. Mm. And mm-hmm. anytime for years, anytime Milano would bring up, I kind of want to go, you know, I want to go to like Disney world or I want to do another like Europe trip or whatever. Yeah. And I'll be like, I mean, it's the only thing you buy that makes you richer. And she's <laughs> looking at me just like, listen, <laughs> it's true. And now that has been replaced. <laughs> with. <laughs> <laughs> she gave up on it that easy, huh? <laughs> I mean, after like five years of ribbing her about it, but yeah, yeah, it now is replaced <laughs> with this like art piece of Rome. <laughs> Subtle, <laughs> which yeah, which we could buy tickets there, and it'll make us richer. So yeah. <laughs> the sentiment survives, even if the sign does not. Exactly. I want to travel. Oh man. my gosh! I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm Team Milana on this. I'm sorry. Well, I, I need. That's to, fine. Yeah, yeah. It's rough because it's one of those things where, like, before I traveled, so before I started dating Alana, mm-hmm. couldn't care less about travel. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, like, uh, if I'm going to take vacation. I'm going to be at home. <laughs> I'm going to home body. <laughs> I'm not going to have any alarm set. I'm just going to chill. Right. Do whatever the hell I want. Right. For two weeks or a week or whatever. Sure. After our honeymoon, mm-hmm. the, our, we did that European cruise. Yeah. I'm like, mm, I get See it. See the world. Get some, get some culture. Not, <laughs> so, get some different. I guess a cruise is, a, is not quite the same but you, you get something it's it depending on what like yeah. tours and excursions you go on and stuff yeah, yeah but like you know the oldest building in santa barbara is like <laughs> maybe 100 years old yeah 120 years old yeah well i guess the like the presidios is a couple hundred at least yeah 200 250 something like that and then america conceptually is only 250 years old Mm-hmm. Just just under. And then to go to like Rome, where the newest building was built in like 900. Yeah. And you're just like, 
oh my God, there's so much <laughs> incredible history here. There's, yeah, yeah. It's wild. Mm-hmm. And like, it's now at this, like, I have this struggle inside myself of like, <laughs> I still don't care about traveling, <laughs> but <laughs> at least you're honest. <laughs> <laughs> but there are like, when I'm at home, I don't yeah. entertain the, the conversation. Sure. But when I'm there, yeah. it's, yeah, I really don't want to be cliche and say it's life changing, <laughs> uh-huh. but like it is awe inspiring. Some of the yeah. like architecture and ancient cities and traditions that are still alive today, and like yeah. seeing that first person and not like on somebody's fucking Instagram story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. Well. New York's a place with a lot of history, man. Yeah. I not, haven't been to New York you know, in like 25 years. Yeah. This will not, be fun. You know, thousands of years, at least not the the history that we <laughs> haven't paved over. Right. But a lot that's hundreds of years old. And it's just a place where a lot of people have lived and done a lot of things. And it all just sort of like contributes to the story of the place Mm -hmm. and like the more that the longer I'm here, the more I learn about things and the more that like, you know, Oh, different like waves of immigration or different, you know, like ethnic neighborhoods and how they came to be, or, you know, just like why things are the way they are and, you know, why people act the way they do and how it shapes the modern day. It, and in your everyday life, you know, like you're always kind of living history a little bit. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Travel. And Marvel history. <laughs> and there's going to the be Marvel one. history. Yeah. Sort of-ish. <laughs> so, damn. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I'm not going to talk about it because there isn't much to talk about, which is kind of funny. But I saw Morbius last night. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't care That's whether you spoil really anything or anything about there's it. There's nothing I mean. to spoil. <laughs> 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 so... I wanted to see it because from the first trailer, I wanted to know what universe this takes place in. Sure. Like you have a scene with Michael Keaton being like, Dr. Morbius, Uh look me up or whatever. Sure. You have a scene where he's in a alleyway and there's a poster of Spider-Man in the background. Okay. And you have a scene where, Morbius says, I'm Venom. Ah, I'm just kidding. Get out of here. <laughs> that implies two to three different universes. Right. And it doesn't help that the poster of Spider-Man was from the loading screen Spider-Man of <laughs> PS4 Spider-Man. So like, <laughs> and so like that felt like a place marker for yeah. the Spider-Man that they want to put in, whether it's right. a Toby or a Garfield or a Holland. Sure. Yeah. So they took all those out. Of course. The actual movie. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the I Am Venom. So I will confirm that it takes place in the Venom universe. Sure. Which is multiversally potentially connected to the Spider-Man universe from that post credit scene. Oh, should I not talk about this? Is this, is this in spoiler range still? I don't I mean... If it were to me, I'd be like, well, don't tell me that. But yeah, it's also kind of like very little yeah. consequence. It, 
and and <laughs> has is yeah probably an Easter egg more than anything else. Like there isn't going right. to be meaningful crossover between Tom Hardy's Venom and, and Tom Holland's uh, Spider-Man as as much as I would wish that there would be. <laughs> so what was funny is in the flashback scene where we find Michael Morbius with his like his illness that is incurable. Yeah. He's like a genius. Okay. And the caretaker is like, Michael, there's a school for gifted children in New York that I want to send you to. Okay. And I was like, uh-huh. gifted uh-huh. of all the words for you to use right. Come on. <laughs> for a school in New York. You're just, but it was you're not just, X-Men. <laughs> of course, you're just teasing me at this point. This isn't yeah, actually. Yeah, that was a, rude. It's like, just like, I can, I can absolutely see like, Morbius is the ultimate like conscious troll job movie. Like we're going to be very close to giving the fanboys everything that they want and we will give them nothing. <laughs> yeah. It was just like <laughs> really guys? Yeah. A school for gifted children? Uh-huh. Come on. Come on. Gifted youngsters nobody, you might okay. say. Yeah. I will say I'm going to okay. Okay. I'm going to say that nobody picked up on that really however if you go with percent like (laughs) five percent of the theater picked up on it Uh uh-huh i was that five (laughs) percent of course because there were only 20 people in the theater is what you're saying (laughs) 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 so we went to the 845 showing. I bought the mm-hmm. tickets at 330. There were five other tickets sold at that time. <laughs> and yeah. then Real apparently, banger. I guess, yeah, three more groups came in mm-hmm. in those next five hours. But man, this is opening weekend. Yeah. That's so bad. Yeah. Just the movie nobody wanted. I know. And and we talked about this primarily when I covered the last Morbius book, but yeah. like he doesn't carry a title. No, he's not an intriguing enough character. He's not a good <laughs> enough character. He's he his story isn't good enough because everyone that's written him has only been about his bloodlust, right? Because checks out. Right. <laughs> he can't be the title character, but. He's been Sony, in intriguing. But Sony has the rights books. to them. <laughs> Sony has the rights. Sony has the rights to the entire Spider-Man relin- license, and they don't want to relinquish it. So they need to keep There's making some movies. Hundred plus named characters <laughs> that they could pull. Honestly, 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 I feel like so. In the same manner that you felt that Ultimate Marvel should just be this continually repeating. Like yeah, resetting reboot every title. five years. Yeah, Sony should just do different universe Spider Man. That sounds great. Yeah, I, just like, do like a Spider Man so Noir fun. trilogy. Do a yeah Spider Man trilogy. 20, yeah, just do one offs. Yeah, and then like if if Spider Man Noir just hits hard, because mm-hmm. I could see doing Spider Man Noir in the Sin City style. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah. 
And if it does well, sure, do a sequel. If it doesn't, move the fuck on. Right. Do a 2099 (laughs) movie. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Do even like a 1602 Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Marvel 1602. Peter Park. (laughs) There's a group of people that know and really want the Spider-Man India. Mm. Do Pavateer. And like, just... Do Super Sentai Spider-Man. Oh, God, do Super Sentai Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Into the Spider-Verse was a clear tell. The one that, thing they did that worked. Yeah. We yeah. don't need a Peter Parker Spider-Man. We don't, but, like, we need and we a don't hero. need con- we don't need continuity either. Like, the core, yeah. myth, it, the core myth is good enough that you can just yeah. tell... And 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 people know it well enough. It's relatable enough. You can just tell a good story and let it stand on its own, and not have to spin everything out into a mega franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just come on, guys. Come on, guys. Don't. But do again, why why go through all the you know all the fuss and all the difficulty of making and marketing one movie when you could make and market a whole franchise? Yeah, sure, but like, but if the franchise sucks, then <laughs> and then everything's like, fine. <laughs> if the comics sucked, yeah, what makes you think a movie's gonna do? Well? Well, they don't. They don't know anything about the comics. They don't know and they don't care. You know, <laughs> they're like, oh, we've got this bundle of IP. That's all it is to them, and that's all comics are to them. It's all comics are to Marvel and DC at this point. You know, let's just mm-hmm. let, it's just a, a a mill for for cheap. You know story and IP development to continue adapting into the things that make them real money. I mean, sure. <laughs> but that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very cynical about comics in case you haven't, haven't noticed. <laughs> anyway, well, we have a good episode today. <laughs> All that said, yes, we really do. Yeah, man. We are going back to the comics that actually matter, the comics that are good, the comics that are good art that stand on their own, and that is the Krakoa era X-Men and Reign of X. Last time we talked about this little section of the comics universe, we set out to talk about Reign of X volumes one through five. We only got through four. So we're gonna do five Before we through three hours yeah. today. Oh, so. Yeah, don't remind me. We're already we're already starting at twenty minutes here. I know. So so let's uh, let's get a move on. Anything that you you brought into this? Uh, any expectations, hopes, dreams? You know, things that you wanted to see out of Rain. I will say that I wanted or I want. A title that is going to make me care about the X-verse for now. Like, Hmm. Dawn of X was epic and awesome. And there's a lot of storylines of, like, this is who we are in the world now. Yes. And it's all declaration. And Mm -hmm. here we are. Establishing 
the nation Boom. of Krakoa. This is us. Totally. Ten of Swords, for me, was kind of a letdown. <laughs> it was certainly a subversion of expectations. Yeah. And so, whatever. It is what it yeah. is. But now we're post-letdown, post-establishment. Yeah. What are you going to do that's going to make me want to keep going? What are the stories that are going to sort of carry the mm-hmm. meat of this? And did you not did you not feel that sort of establishment from Rain 1 through 4? I got like a mixed bag. I wanted more sword. Mm. Sword was super intriguing to me. Yeah. As the one new title that like Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think because the way they've approached it is they are still trying new things with mutants and yes. doing new stuff. Mm-hmm. The new mutant title where they're now training the like the children, the children mm-hmm. mutants to like think about different ways to use your powers and how they combine with each other and stuff. Yeah. I think that's a good start. And then uh, WizKid with, you know, mutant technology. Uh-huh. And a similar sort of idea of co- combining powers and and what do powers sort of look like together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where sword I feel like is succeeding, yeah. New mutants I think is stalling. It's sputtering a little bit for me. Okay. But I think it's because it's getting distracted by this Amal Farouk yeah. situation going on. Yeah. But it is. It definitely has intrigued me where they've taken the Amal Farouk thing. So Me too. I'm here for New Mutants now. Well, let's get into it. Yes. So yes. we start with Reign of X, number Reign five. Reign of X, volume five. Volume five. And it is two issues of Excalibur, two issues of Sword, and then King and Black Marauders, number one. Mm-hmm. Which, thankfully, we can just quickly go through because yeah. I covered it in King and Black. Right. So Excalibur post, I mean, Excalibur was the most connected to building up to Ten of Swords. Right. And since Ten of Swords in Reign, it's been the mo- the the title that's most dealt with sort of the aftermath of Ten of Swords. Mm-hmm. They're going straight into bringing Betsy Braddock back, who was shattered into a million omniversal pieces during the duels of Ten of Swords. And... This is the title I've been having the most trouble with. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 So, uh, okay, so, they, so what happens? Yeah. So what happens? They get her back, you know? They get her body back. Yeah. And then they swap her because they had the whole Queen Betsy from the alternate reality swap her around. But then it turns out that Malice has come along and is possessing her body. Yes. Now, can you explain who Malice is? Yeah, I can. Because I feel like you've seen her before, right? Oh, quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. Malice first appeared as a member of the Marauders in the Mutant Massacre. And she was a basically a psionic-only entity. She didn't have a body of her own. And her power is to possess other people. And when she does, she appears as a sort of uh, choker necklace with a skull on it. I mean, she's extremely powerful in that sense. Like her, her control is very easy and very total. And, you know, she's done a lot 
of bad things in other people's bodies. Notably, Sinister had her possess Polaris at one point and some sort of screwery with Polaris's magnetic powers meant that the possession was semi-permanent. She wasn't able to get out and she was very unhappy to be stuck in one body. And that lasted for a couple years. And then there were a lot of really, really awkward and weird plots to give Polaris new powers and then reset her powers. And then maybe she is sister of this uh, Savage Land villain named Zaladane. And then maybe not. That was kind of Chris Claremont losing the thread there a little bit. But (laughs) (laughs) point remains, yeah. Malice, I guess they they explain her powers a little bit. It's not really psychic possession. It's more like emotional resonance, transference, you know, sort of like soul possession a little bit. She just takes somebody's body, not necessarily their mind, as opposed to like karma, who's who's psychic possession. Mm. Yeah, so when you saw Betsy cough up that necklace, did you know exactly? Yeah, immediately. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> and then yeah. they name drop her on the next page. And I was like, yeah. oh. I was all prepared to to do this on the last pod. But yes, that's who Malice is. And then it'll be more relevant on this pod because later we'll be getting a little more. We get more. Yeah, we get more. More Malice. Her and yeah. Stuff. yeah. So she seemed interesting from mm-hmm. someone who I don't think I've read a single thing with Malice in it. Wow. Interesting. And if I have, <laughs> didn't leave an impression. I have terrible memory. Yeah, <laughs> like the name Malice. Yeah, is familiar, but I don't know if it's just right. <laughs> it's it's Marvel. It, it could be anything. Right. Yeah. Also, like I think of like Gideon Malik from Agents of Shield. Like uh-huh. I have other things that randomly muddy yeah. up my <laughs> thoughts on the word Malice. <laughs> sure. And so I was just like. Interesting. All right. Yeah. And then the she could be anyone on Krakoa. I was like, oh, geez. Like, dude, okay. What, a step up, like 30,000 yeah. foot view. A lot of the stories we're seeing in Rain 5 through 8 yeah. is how honestly undefended Krakoa can be or is. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Despite how defended How's, and and like, retaliatory <laughs> we've seen them be in dawn right you get like the exact opposite in rain it's a good point and and Very despite having like the highest per capita you know superhuman population <laughs> in the world yeah. by far probably <laughs> actually not even per capita just total I mean, it's one to one yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of the times that Brian gets escorted onto campus. Then At Shogo. <laughs> oh, Shogo. Yeah. There you go. Although Shogo becomes Dragon Baby on Other World, so he's his own maybe guy. there's something there. Yeah. So then Sword. Oh, sorry. Is there more Excalibur? Sorry. I have, I have a couple more. One, just that Jamie's sort of like autopsy lab with Morgan Le Fay and the other prisoners gets discovered. Uh, I have a note that's holy shit Richter 
just like the depth that he's going into this, you know, mutant magic and inheriting apocalypses, you know, magical tomes and all of that is, I mean, this character is making a a huge swerve or a huge change in Krakoa era and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, that is definitely a takeaway. And then also just the way that they're setting up Quanon Psylocke here. And as sort of like a um, antagonist slash soul sister, you know, to Betsy, they're, they're developing a really cool relationship between those two characters. They hadn't interacted much in Dawn. And now, you know, this malice plot is bringing them together because of the whole like similarity in malice's powers about, you know, body swapping possession, things of that nature. Obviously, the two of them have history in precisely that. So mm-hmm. I was I was really interested to see them pull that thread out to write a story about. And I have a suspicion that that was that this plot about malice exists precisely to move this relationship along. Yeah. Two good points. Yeah. As I was going back, flipping back through the issue those are basically the two points that came out across my mind. <laughs> Richter diving into magic. I guess the thing that I guess I I miss Apocalypse on Excalibur. Yeah. yeah. He was very he, much a leading force on the team in the, he in the title. Yep. And without that like I guess there's not a whole lot of desire to read a leaderless team. Yeah, especially with Betsy, the you know, kind of like not active, you know, like being sidelined, not being in control, you know, them working on bringing her back and then Apocalypse being out. Uh, we talked about this in the last pod. This would, if, if they were to cancel a book after X of Swords, this would be it the obvious one for, because yeah. they, they lost both of their lead characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, kind of slow to pick up their footing, but... Interesting that they didn't cancel it. We'll see where it goes. It's it's still yeah. but after these episodes after these issues still feels like it's still finding its way. It hasn't right. fully committed to a narrative direction yet. I will say semi spoiler alert in the issues going forward, mm-hmm. they've basically dropped Richter, Gambit, and Rogue completely to tell yeah. to tell a more Betsy Quanon focused yep. narrative, which is yeah. fine. Yeah. To Basically, your point of exploring this going forward relationship between two people that possessed each other's bodies yeah, <laughs> for a bit. But yeah, Excalibur. Excalibur. <laughs> That's Excalibur. Yeah. Moving along to Sword? Sword. So this was surprising in the sense that these two issues of Sword occur in response to King and Black. Yeah. But they were not in my King of Black readings. So this is all <laughs> new to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it also goes to show how far behind our Krakoa reading is from all of your other reading. We did King of yeah. Black months ago on this pod. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're in April. We did three months ago. Yeah. So we need to... We, <laughs> I mean, part of this is the, the, the publishing schedule of Reign of X. And... We're we're working to address that. So, listeners, we yes. will be on this <laughs> Reign of X train a lot more soon in order yes. to try and get even. Mm-hmm. 
which I appreciate. <laughs> Me too. Because <laughs> that means I have to read less 90s. <laughs> so Sword Issue 2 jumps into basically responding to the fact that the entire Earth is covered in a giant symbiote shell. Yeah. Sword, there's, you know, station being in this in space, being in geosynchronous orbit over Krakoa. Now things have been cut off, seemingly. And right. so this is brand responding to basically a potentially extinction level event. Yeah. And so we get to see sort of sword reacting to a plot that we understand versus initiating in the first issue, initiating a plot we do not understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is what they're going to pick up on after these issues, yeah. which will affect the Guardians book. Mm -hmm. Stoked. <laughs> <laughs> so what else do you have about this first issue of S.W.O.R.D. here? We see Fabian Cortez acting a lot, and also Mentalo. They initiate a link down to Earth through the gates, and they're saying they're potentially the only transportation that uh -huh. is effective to get people on or off Earth because of this slime shell. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like the Krakoan gates still function. Yeah. Which is wild. Like, if King <laughs> and Black lasted longer, that would be a whole other resource for the mutants totally. to really monopolize. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So communication is still possible as long as they, like, link through the same neurotelepathical line that <laughs> Krakoa's plants use. Right. <laughs> so radio communication is still up. And so Brand is basically like, okay, Metallo, I give you, was it Protocol V? The mind tank? The, no, the think tank. Yeah. He just, just wants like, a tank. He's just all he all he wants <laughs> is the thing. Well basically, so she's got yeah, protocol V. Brand has her response team going to Krakoa to back up the mutants, and then she takes Mentallo and sends him to go do protocol V, which we find out is basically in case shit goes south, yeah. We need we need a backup plan. Yeah. And that's what protocol V is. I don't know why V. <laughs> Because everything else is named X. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> if half the population is going to die, why not just take half of X? <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we get down to Earth. We've got sword forces backing up mutant forces, fighting a dragon. The sun has been blotted out because of the symbiote shell. Sun, fire is there. Mm -hmm. He gets knocked the F out by one of the dragons and, and Cortez then, has a moment to shine. Yeah, Cortez boosts his power to the point and tells him to become the Krakoan son. And he yeah. says yes. And God. And he basically Giants. like out of control human torches. Yeah. Just goes, dives straight through the dragon, takes out the dragon. And then we get the personnel notes for Cortez. And this is something 
I was excited to see because one of my biggest questions about S.W.O.R.D. is why the fuck would you put Fabian Cortez anywhere? <laughs> like anywhere <laughs> interesting or useful, right? And so the, the notice here is, is Fabian Cortez has the exact power set required for the vital exploration and retrieval missions we're conducting in higher space. We need him on board. Unfortunately, he's a, a treacherous sack of yuppie pus who will stab any back <laughs> or kiss any behind for a taste of power. I can fob him off with some meaningless title for now, but that won't solve his ambition forever. And it's possible some of the egos on the council might fall for his shtick before I can create a long-term solution. So that sentence there bears monitoring and then they go through potential replacements for cortez a character named michael nolan who i do not remember i'm sure i've read him somewhere but mm. i don't know who also has power amplification powers but he cannot control the addictive nature of them and also nolan doesn't want to be part of krakoa because his wife is human and cannot be resurrected. Second is a guy named Brian Dunlop, a.k.a. Boost, who I also don't remember. It says he amplifies <laughs> powers by merging bodily with other mutants. As such, he cannot amplify more than one mutant at a time. And then they make note, he's still useful. Consider him for security team or redacted. Thanks, censors. Freaking <laughs> <laughs> so, many, so much redaction. Mm -hmm. Third is Absalon Mercator, a.k.a. Mr. M. Unavailable, whereabouts unknown. If you remember... He is one, like this mystery man. He is this mystery man. Yeah. because He gets he name dropped in, a lot. He gets name dropped a lot. He got name dropped in, in House of Ten Powers... Or House of X Powers of Ten. He got name dropped, or at least alluded to, in X of Swords as the head of one of the great, you know, stations or regions or whatever of Otherworld, mm -hmm. and now here. And then fourth, name, redacted. Fi primary loyalty is most likely redacted. That said, she fits all other criteria with the added bonus that redacted, snark war, redacted. <laughs> snark war. So <laughs> snark war happened in basically because of the Kree scroll Alliance. Mm -hmm. Sort of. So Kreeskull Alliance happened, and then there was a Galactic Ambassador meeting, and then somebody was killed, and by them dying, it enacted Snark War to for the other tribes within that area of the galaxy to become the new leader of that area. I will also Basically. say <laughs> that the Snark is the nickname for an alien race called the Xenerks, which is different from the alien race called the Xenox, which was one of my five uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of my five deep cuts a couple weeks ago. Uh, so, you know, just to to help you keep it straight, make it so clear. <laughs> right? Oh my god, the universe is so big. And then so I I really like Brand's notes. Me too. She continually talks about, well, one, she's an amazing leader because mm. she's got all this stuff like filed in her brain. Like she's, everyone is she, categorized for a reason. She's <laughs> an amazing tactician. I don't think she people is. trust her well enough to, to really Which call is fine. her a good leader. She, right. Okay. That's true. <laughs> she is an amazing tactician, which makes her a 
good head of a department mm, <laughs> like okay. sword sure. and i don't know if i'm mixing up conversations from sword versus her cameos in guardians of the galaxy but mm. her like point of view of sword is because sword acts as like the galactic presence of mutant kind and yeah is like this you know it's their connection to off world sure she refuses slash can't answer to the council like mm. so the people that she chooses for her team at least the heads of her teams need to have that same mentality of like interesting i won't choose the council over sword that is really cool i I feel like it, that probably was in, <laughs> in it must something that I read, but I don't remember it completely. Okay. But yeah, it that makes perfect sense with the org chart that she exactly she picked. Yeah, that mentality, and then her talk about how literally Fabian Cortez is perfect, but yeah. it's only a matter of time before he he like def def defect to. Not even defects, but like defects uh, yeah. <laughs> to the council and like listen to not, them instead of her. Well, I feel like it's not even that. It's she was saying that she, it's only a matter of time before she infects, before he infects the council. That is like starts mm. starts talking to them and and sucking up to power in a way that gets them listening to him, and because mm-hmm. he, he is a piece of shit with lots of terrible ideas, as we'll see shortly. Yeah, so, and that has been a personality trait of brand for, like, ever. Yeah. Of just, like, listen, if I'm going to run S.W.O.R.D., which I historically always have, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to be able to make my own decisions. Totally. This is not S.H.I.E.L.D. working for the government. This is S.W.O.R.D. <laughs> being the face of Earth to the yep. rest of the galaxy. Totally. So cool. I love it. <laughs> And then issue number three, Manifold's journey across the, the universe. Yeah. Well, okay. So issue two ends with Think Tank and then a null possessed cable. Yeah. That we get into later. All right. So sure. three, Eden going around talking about explaining his power, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You want to do a, a recap of that? Sure. Okay. So basically, from our perspective, every time we see Eden Fessy Manifold's power work, it always comes off as teleportation because right. he has these little like yellow circles and then he, it basically opens up a little wormhole and you can walk through it. And yep. for conversationally, it's teleportation. Right. However, that uh, is and teleportation not- on a cosmic, galactic, like gigantic <laughs> scale. Yeah. And so basically, he is, he calls himself a quintition mm-hmm. from the word quintessence, the fifth element once believed to permeate all of the universe. And he explains his power as he talks to space and yeah. asks it for favors, basically. Yeah. Space likes him and <laughs> will do whatever he wants. In, and so 
as explained, Eden Fessy is not a teleporter. People treat him like one, but that's not what he is at all. Eden Fessy talks to space. If he tells the universe to fold itself until he can walk across it in a single step, it does. If he tells space to warp so light passes all the way around it without ever hitting him to form a little bubble of invisibility just for him, it will. And then he <laughs> demonstrates that on the very next page. Yeah. He says it's not telling, it's asking. It still terrifies me to think about it for too long. <laughs> that aside, he's a really nice guy. <laughs> but yeah, like... And he does come across as a really nice guy. He has this great conversation in, I believe, the Australian Outback with an old friend about, you know, just like Krakoa and what's going on and how they are, you know, and mm-hmm. catching up with some old friends. And they're, they're, you know, skeptical of Krakoa. And he says, no, it's, it, it, you know what? There's some good things going on there. You know, mm-hmm. they only have three, they only have three laws. And the third one is respect this sacred land. They're okay. And the, the guy, <laughs> his friend in, in the Australian Outback says they still had to make it a law. Yeah. Which... <laughs> It's a good point. I love that perspective. I mean, okay, as an anarchist, obviously I love that perspective. But (laughs) (laughs) it is really, really cool. Yeah. I will say also to your point, Eden Fessy has always been like just a good guy. (laughs) Right. He spent time on one of Steve Rogers' Avengers teams. Mm -hmm. He... And you he was, knew he was, you knew he was as, as a character created by Jonathan Hickman, <laughs> right? You yeah. knew he was going to get significant screen time and a large role <laughs> within Krakoa. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> he just seems like a good guy. Like, yeah. he never fights. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's quote unquote just the getaway car, but like everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone respects, I feel like everyone respects him more than like the other teleporters that we get. Yeah. More than magic, more Uh than, more than Pixie, more than Well, magic creeps everybody out. Pixie's a kid. Nightcrawler, you can't. Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler is a much smaller like power set. Plus he's, he, I mean, everyone respects the hell out of Kurt, but it's, it's more of a. It's more of like a, he's he's separate in a way. Uh, he's the spiritual center of you know yes. the the mutant race and all of that. So yeah, yeah. It's it it is it's a different kind of respect. Yeah. Like there's a respect your elders, and then there's like a respect your brother. It's like yeah, totally. It's different kinds of respect there. It's different kinds yeah. of respect here. But like Eden's never been done wrong in the same mm-hmm. sense that like. We've talked about how I love how Storm's never been written weak. Yeah. Eden Fessy's never been disrespected, like, mm-hmm. on page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. And it's just, it's it's so cool. I, I re- I've loved Eden Fessy since, like, he first got introduced, and I think it could be because of Hickman, but <laughs> I, I, I love him. I'm so glad he's here. <laughs> Side note, do you know he's probably related to Bishop? or. What? I mean, you know, multiversally. He's Gateway's son, right? Or grandson? That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought he was his, yeah, grandson, I guess. Yeah. Grandson. Yeah. Bishop is a descendant of Gateway as well, it's assumed. Oh. Or was maybe established or like mostly hinted at, but mostly confirmed or something like that. 
Yes. Ah, yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah, they've. I mean, poor Bishop. He he never gets <laughs> no a a good set of story. His time on Marauders <laughs> is good, but like yeah, <laughs> he gets a short end of so many sticks. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep seeing it. I, I, sorry to, to to jump to Marauders here, but like how he has the 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 fade with the you know the relaxed like or the the natural hair on top, right? Just like mm-hmm. sticking up, just makes me think of like you know he started with a Jerry curl in the early nineties, <laughs> and then like mid nineties he shaved his head, and then late nineties he started growing out dreads, and then like he's just like yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's just like you know, current time period plus like black hair trends. Copy paste. Let's go. <laughs> I know, poor Bishop. <laughs> poor Bishop. I want to. Uh, I want, I want a, him to bring back the Jerry curl. Is what I want. I, Who else okay, can rock a fucking Jerry but. curl? And and if Jerry <laughs> curls were what was cool in the twenty one eighties or whatever he was from, like you know, he's got to go back to his roots at some point. I want, I want one conversation from somebody calling him out on all of his hairstyles. I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if there's a single mutant that's had more hairstyles than Bishop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry. Anyway, sword Eden Fezzi walking through the universe. Did you have anything yeah. more on Bishop's hair or? No, I was trying to think of anyone else that could have possibly. Even like maybe Janet Van Dyne, although even that I don't know. She yeah, she certainly still, changes that's a hard her maybe outfit enough. Yeah, she does. And then so Eden deals deal, does what he can to deal with the Snark War. Yeah, he goes and cuts a deal in order to you know get some leverage against Noel. And then the Snark that he cuts the deal with says, "No, no, no, no!" Like. No, <laughs> yeah, like my my advantage is that I am not tied down to a planet. I have a mobile fleet, and Noel eats planets. Therefore, Noel is good for me. Yeah, all of my <laughs> enemies still have mm-hmm. planets, mm-hmm. so they can piss off. I love Noel. Yeah, and it ends with basically the the deal going south, and. Eden not liking it, and then poisoning his drink. Question: No, mark. he gets stabbed. Oh, from behind right, by someone right, off right, frame. Right. Yep, with a with a very specific speech bubble. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that. Mm, yeah, good point. For every unless unless they're drunk, <laughs> have something wrong physically with their throat, or their Deadpool <laughs> speech bubbles typically black. Uh, black text, white background. Yep. The person that kills this guy is black background and yellow text. Yeah. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, we'll see. And then we have Eden Fessy being invisible, spying on Gyrick. Yeah, he next shows up on a Alpha Flight space station. Yeah, and I was going to say, he's, noted, yeah, he's yeah. Alpha and Gamma Flight. Yeah. He gets all the government lackey jobs. <laughs> He does. He is. He's just the standard go-to character for bad guy who hates superhumans in government. And you know what? Cool. I'm. I'm yeah. glad that that character like archetype exists, and you can just keep filling it. Just throw him anywhere. 
and it always works. Right? He, he's he seen always some fails shit, man. Up, he always fails upward. You know, he. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He always has another somebody else who hates mutants in power to give him uh, his next job. And Gyrick gets he's got a phone call talking to somebody and we come across a like 90% redacted memo talking about the organizational structure of Orcus. Yeah, how much can this actually help Gyrick? Like <laughs> So Gyrick is on the phone with his his superiors in Orcus, which, if you don't remember, Orcus is sort of the main antagonist for the Krakoa era. They're an anti-mutant organization of human scientists who built a Dyson ring that creates sentinels. They create, I thought it creates master molds. Or creates master molds, yeah. They yeah. call it the mother mold. So yeah. it creates things that create sentinels. And they are working <laughs> on the technology to create Nimrod in 616. Nimrod being the completely unbeatable future sentinel that was the, you know, what they, they, the X-Men have never really actually beaten Nimrod. I yeah. guess, like, and it's always I been guess, from the future. It's always been from the future. We've never gotten a Nimrod in the now. Nimrods were sort of like in charge of things in Days of Future Past. That's when they first appeared. And they have, you know, like they can fully rebuild themselves from basically nothing. And they can adapt to any power set immediately. So they're just like extremely powerful, difficult to take care of. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they, they came from Days of Future Past. They were in charge there, blah, blah, blah. One followed Rachel Summers back. Only one of them. And the X-Men were never, they faced off several times. X-Men were never able to defeat it. it. It merged with Master Mold, and they had to go through the Siege Perilous to escape it and dragged it with them. And then that amalgamation of Master Mold and Nimrod became Bastion and blah, 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 blah. Operation Zero Tolerance. We covered this on previous pods. But yeah, they always come from the future and the X-Men cannot stop it. And now Orcus is trying to develop it in the present. Yeah. And Guy Rich is working with them, it turns out, as the head of the infrastructure slash influence strategy for Orcus. But there's also research and development and operations and defense strategies. And the only pieces of this org chart that we get, which, again, it's so redacted that because Guy Rich is, is on the phone with his superiors, he's reading this thing. There's no way that he gets any useful information from this, but <laughs> he happens to have a convenient hard copy for Eden to nab and look at. But yeah, it says... Lots of redacted text. Homo superior is statistically inevitable. Lots of redacted text. Sustained resistance. Lots more redacted text. Orcus is, and then a shitload more redacted text. So, uh, oh, and then half of the um, org chart is classified even to... It's like a shadow. Yeah. So this is enough to spook Fezzi, and he brings that knowledge back to Krakoa or back to, to sword rather. And he's like, Hey brand, we should take care of this. And brand's like, well, you know, there's this whole thing going on on earth right now. 
Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's all we get of that storyline in Rain 5, but we will get back to it soon enough. Do you want to do a quick recap of King and Black Marauders, or should we move along? There's not not too much to talk about in the name yeah. of time, but basically the Marauders come across a ship that was a human trafficking ship. They stop them, they free them, they take them to Island M theoretically Mm -hmm. and they organized it with emma and magneto and magneto greets them and is just like you guys aren't gonna like ask for anything in return he's like (laughs) no just tell the world that krakoa helped in your time of need Uh and then it also has oh they dropped off the human traffickers in the middle of the desert (laughs) (laughs) nice because they didn't kill them but right no, because kill, kill no human yeah kill no human <gasps> there's a excalibur variant number 18 sorry okay the the issue ends and then because i have the tps it has variant right. covers oh yeah yeah rogue has had a lot of costumes and hairstyles she oh that's a really good point yeah okay rogue rogue wins variant cover <laughs> 18 has all the different rogues that have shown up in all of her she different She has had uniforms, a lot of hairstyles. Including her Savage Land look. Uh-huh. I really liked her, like, cloaked look. That was, like, mm. dark green with white line outlines. Yeah. She's done a few variations of that, because that was her original villain costume, kind of. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So, her original villain costume was short hair. So, mm-hmm. the one I like is a darker green, but same mm-hmm. line design. And it comes with a cape with her hood and long hair. I can't remember if that was her design during Brubaker's run or whether she did that afterwards when she was heading, uh, when uh, X-Men Legacy was kind of a solo title for her. Brubaker's run. When she was kind of the leader of the X-Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that She had that squad with... Mystique was a member. Mystique and, and, and one of the masterminds and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Lady Mastermind. Yeah. Yeah, it was around that time. Yep. Anyway. Anyway. So that was volume five. Super yep. quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> volume six. Yes. Yes, we get to continue okay. with more sword. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we get sword, sword issue four where we're dealing with the fact that Cables possessed by Null and Protocol V involves using the think tank to take most of the mutant samples that are stored the on DNA Krakoa. samples. Yeah, All the that DNA they use, samples that they use for cloning and resurrection protocols, but not all. Yeah, which Hope has a problem with. Yeah, and Brand is like, get off me. And she's expecting, because Brand always works in secret, right? She's got all these secret plans and things going on. And so there's this confrontation here where it's like, Hope's like, actually, this is a great idea. Like, take, you know, we are vulnerable having too much of our resurrection infrastructure in only one site on Earth. And we need to be able to, you know, have redundancy to to Mm -hmm. not be vulnerable in that regard. You just should have told us, like, (laughs) You can't keep this sort of thing secret when you have a good idea you need to share. And this is part of our common self-defense. Stop acting like you are separate or apart from what's going on here because you're not. And I think that is an interesting 
insight into who brand is and also potential conflict going forward. Yeah. And then you have Eden Fessy. So I didn't like this scene, but I know it had to be the way it is. <laughs> but like Eden Fessy manifold going up against Noel Cable. Uh-huh. Noel Kid Cable. Right. And they're both teleporting around. Sorry. Yeah. Space folding and body sliding around. <laughs> and Cable one is able to keep up when he has to. It's voice activated. He has to say body slide by one. <laughs> and Fessy just chills with space. There's no reason why Cable should be able to keep up with and R- or beat sure. Fessy in a space folding match. Sure. But yeah. Whatever. Point is, Fessy was basically wasting time waiting for one of the people who was captured by Noel and hanging upside down in little like symbiote cocoons to escape. <laughs> right. And basically a sucker punch cable to get him out. Yep. Frenzy is the one that ends up being the one that gets free. And she's got speaking way frenzy. too much training. <laughs> Friend, you know, I love frenzy. She has a great monologue at the very start of this, which again, she, she's kind of set up to be at least within the org chart of a sword she's set up to be one of the main characters of this series but she hasn't gotten barely any screen time so far Mm -hmm. panel time i should say comics are not movies but uh (laughs) (laughs) you know she kind of has a little bit of a a little bit of a character moment here she says she's you know she's saying endless despair everything feels life uh, lifeless flat hopeless i'm alone in the dark this can't hurt me. I have to remember that. Nothing hurts me. And if something tries, I hurt it back hard. I just need to know where to start. This darkness, it goes on forever. I just need to latch, something to latch on to. So, yeah, we get how she like processes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets loose of the cocoon right above Cable. Yeah. And you see her inner, inner dialogue. It's like right there, all in one motion, disarm him in every sense. And so with one hand, she knocks the gun out of his right hand while grabbing his left wrist and then just ripping it, ripping his arm off his, his robot body. arm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For people who don't know the design of cable, his left arm is all techno organic virus and mechanical, basically. Yeah. And so ripping it off is not going to shed any blood. <laughs> right. But it does take off the teleportation unit. But it's, so. yeah. And so the first, her first actual speech bubble is the arm has the tech, no more body sliding for you. (laughs) And she also says, and this is an allusion to her character journey in, in age of X. She says, I've only ever loved one person. And if he'd felt the same, you'd be my stepson, meaning Scott Summers. The two of them were married in age of X. So yeah, it's (laughs) crazy how much that affected her. Yeah, well, I mean, she didn't have a whole lot of like consistent characterization before that. So, mm. <laughs> you know, they didn't have not a whole lot of frenzy stories to draw from. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, so in Age of X, that happened. And then everyone remembers that it happened. Right. And she's the only one who it's like, it was real to me. Yeah. She straight up confronts Cyclops and is like, that was real. Like, yeah. let's do this. And Cyclops in reality is with Emma still. So it's like, he's like, I've got 
a thing. Yeah, I've got <laughs> like, something else going on. Sorry. I'm not Peace. leaving her for you. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And, she, and so, like, she's angry. And I think she leaves Utopia for a little bit yeah. when that happens. But anyway, it's, just, it's wild that uh, she still holds on to that. Yeah. Also very interesting and cool. So anyway, Eden has a chance to catch his breath. And so he's like, hey, so listen, I don't teleport. I'm more than that. Mr. Body Slide by one. Right. I talk to the universe and we get along. So she does me little favors. Like catch a piece of the sun, move it from there to here and wrap it in a bubble of folded space so it doesn't Unreal. hurt anyone. And Cable's like, no, anyone, I don't want it to. So don't like suns. That's a shame. Because <laughs> the universe <laughs> gave me this one as a gift. Take a closer look. And he basically... For anyone that watches Naruto, he basically has a yellow Rasengan in his hand, and he—I know you don't know the reference, but Not it's a all. ball of energy in his hand. Okay, and he runs. You could have just said Kamehameha. <laughs> well, that well, was his. That. Yeah, that's the stance that he gets in, but it's not that's a true. beam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not an energy wave. It's just a ball. Yeah. <laughs> and he runs up and slams it into nullified cable. And it burns off every single bit of null symbiote off of cable. And then he's like, yeah, I'm not even an Omega mutant. Somewhere there's someone more. Because null yeah. gives him shit. He's just like, what do you think you can do? You're not even Omega. Doesn't that make yeah. you feel like there's somebody out there that can do more with the teleportation ability than you can? Mm-hmm. Trying to chip away at yeah. manifold but he's a badass and doesn't fucking matter <laughs> so and he's like yeah i just did that and i'm not an omega don't come back uh-huh. <laughs> oh it's so cool it's so cool also how is that not an omega level power but whatever. i don't know <laughs> how could like how could you talk to and fold space more powerfully than Manifold has figured out to do yet. I guess technically the the universe could say no to him. Somebody who the universe couldn't yeah. say no to. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. Because like that's kind of the whole like Hickman's defined Omega mutant is like the, the you know the limits are incalculable. Yeah. Just power levels off the charts. But like how is that not off the charts? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And it ends with Fabian Cortez has died and Magneto is showing interest in him again. To a degree. Uh, and, and not just interest in him, interest in his anti-human bigotry, essentially. Mm-hmm. He's saying, mm-hmm. you know, we've got to do something about this, the flat scans. Let's talk. And right. Magneto appears to listen. And there's a note from Charles Xavier saying like, you're playing with fire. <laughs> Don't, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're walking a, a, a scary line here by fucking with Fabian Cortez again, who has literally killed you before. <laughs> Lest we not forget. <laughs> and then there is a 98% redacted note that only three words are, are not redacted and it's mm-hmm. vote V O G H T snark war and soul. How, how well do you know vote? I have no idea. She's one of the teleporters on Sword. She was an acolyte for a long time. She she was Xavier's girlfriend, actually. Nurse after he 
lost the use of his legs. And then, you know, blah, 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 they fell in love. He starts coming up, you know, with all of his ideas about the mutant future and realizes that she's a mutant, but she feels disrespected by him and ends up following Magneto. And she has the powers to turn into mist and you and others and use that as teleportation. Interesting. Yep. So like Storm could just fuck her up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then we and get then? and then we get X-Men. Yeah, we we finally we get two issues of X-Men here. We finally get back to this to this title. It functions as the sort of backbone of, you know, Krakoa, the Krakoa storyline and era, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell one, you know, in the Hickman style, it's not telling one ongoing coherent plot. It gives you, Mm -hmm. you know, bits and pieces, sets up a lot of things and then, you know, pays them off in different amounts later. And this is two issues of payoff, essentially. Very early on, I want to say like issue three or four or two or something like that. One of the very first issues of X-Men in Dawn of X, Darwin, X-23, and Sync went into a place called The Vault, which is a sort of hyper-time mad science, uh, like evolutionary layer. Not really mad science, that's the world. This is just like an a self-adaptive, self-correcting evolutionary system that is supposed to, you know, runs like at hundreds or thousands of times the speed of the real world and just produces constant iteration on and improvement in, you know, natural selection, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so we get to see what happens. story while they're inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are th- their power we touched yes. on it why they way were back chosen. in the first episode mm-hmm. but the re so for those who don't know or don't remember because you listened to it a year ago and that's right. totally fine yeah these three mutants you have x23 well she goes by wolverine now but yeah my bad laura, laura kinney she is a clone of wolverine of logan mm-hmm. and so she's got healing factor yep. this is why she was chosen because right. time moves differently inside they need people who will survive this yeah darwin his mutant ability is to survive anything it adapts his body can adapt and create new powers and abilities based on his need for survival we see a really cool illustration of that early yeah well and sorry go on with sync's powers and then sync can match the powers and abilities of those around him. Mm-hmm. So X-23 can heal and survive. Darwin can evolve and survive. Sync can do both. Right. As long as he's near them. As long as he's around. Yeah. So you have a panel very early where they're far away. They, they've just entered the vault and they're looking out over this giant cityscape that has been built inside that has evolved really inside. Mm-hmm. So Darwin just kind of manifests a bunch of like 
crazy looking visual like or detection lenses apparatus a bunch of yeah. lenses and yeah scopes and and things of that nature which you know you it never you don't have to explain what it does to understand that he's getting some sort of sensory input on what's going on and then mm-hmm. sinks standing right next to him develops the exact same thing and it's just yeah. that's a really cool way to to demonstrate powers mm-hmm for both of them. Anyway, there's a medical report talking about from Cecilia Reyes talking about how sync has demonstrated a 4% increase in power post resurrection. Mm-hmm. And it goes into this theory of the difference between a body that grew into their powers versus a body that always had its powers mm-hmm. and how it naturally adapts better if it's always had it and so as a side effect of resurrection protocols you have bodies that have always had this power and so it is logical to assume that their powers and abilities are going to be a little more enhanced or focused yeah. which mm-hmm. is super interesting because we're getting a lot of side effects of resurrection going on these days. I know, right? Especially the Araco, uh, Arakan and other world resurrections. But yeah, yeah, even even any of these resurrections have, or, or also like, you know, with Domino, like, you know, changes in memory, things like that. Mm-hmm. Just adding to, you know, what the heck is going on here? But that's sort of the overriding constant theme. Mm-hmm. There's a page here when they first walk in where Sink sort of first develops a crush on Laura, mm-hmm. where, you know, they, they first walk in and he's, he's just kind of staring blankly and she turns back at him and says, what are you looking at? And pops her claws and he kind of <laughs> smiles. and He's like, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, all right, all right. Yeah. So then they go into into the vault. They have a kerfuffle. Yeah, their first confrontation with the children of the vault, who are the, you know, evolutionarily created perfect beings or whatever powered beings who defend it. And they use their powers and win, blah, blah, blah. But then shit starts to go crazy. One of the children of the vault blows a bunch of shit up. Because, so the reason that they're in there in the first place, right? The Krakoan, the mutants, are in there is to basically... This is a source of potential danger, problems. You never can know or trust what's going on in the vault. It has its own directives, and they've been hostile in the past. So they are essentially on a reconnaissance mission. They need to go in, learn what they can about the vault, what's going on in there. It's been a while in our world since we saw <laughs> what was going on there, which means it's been a really long time in vault years and it could have changed drastically. And so, yeah, they're on a reconnaissance mission and things start going a little haywire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, there's one guy, I don't know his name. He's, he's basically a fire guy. Yeah. He's, he's a pyrokinetic, I think is what we would call him. He burns sink, sink, gets Laura's healing ability, but then Sync also copies the pyrokinetics fire. Right. And Laura's like, 
wait, I thought you could only copy the powers of mutants. And he says, I couldn't. Uh, looks like that's changed. Hmm. So Sink's 4% increase in power is letting him copy, like, say, like a Spider-Man or yeah. the Children of the Vault or God, like um, a Hyperion. He's now right. able to copy superpowers of non-mutants is the main point here. So he lets loose, kills two children of the vault. Last girl alive has a nuclear option. And so she sets off a giant explosion in the vault, kills herself. But the children of the vault are literally just giant experiments of the vault. And they'll just get mm-hmm. reborn anyway. Scorched Earth policy hopefully takes out the three but their powers are literally to survive, so they're not going anywhere. Yeah. And meanwhile, the vault is enormous, right? Like, mm-hmm. just... It's like the size of, like, Los Angeles. Yeah, just impossibly it's large huge. for three people to navigate and, you know, do a, a, a full-scale, you know, understanding of what's going along. And then there's a caption here that says, the first 50 years were the longest. <laughs> Yeah. You also get, you know, some visual idea that Sink and Laura are becoming close, holding hands, etc. Mm-hmm. And then in true Hickman style, we get a <laughs> uh, yeah, graphic. a lot. Yeah, a lot of storytelling accomplished through graphic design. <laughs> yeah. So we get we get a graphic showing timeline for each respective X-Man, Darwin, Sink and Wolverine. And then just like marks on the timeline of specific things that have happened. Yeah. And it's talking about just like makeshift command control area established and different things that have gone on. They found some DNA samples. They've started mapping the quadrants. Mm -hmm. Handful of other things. They've found the child replication generation center. Yeah. And then their incursion got detected. Right. On the first timeline picture that we get. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have more displays of Darwin's powers, more just snapshots of them doing their recon and right. exploring the vault. And then the three of them split up for a little bit. Yeah. So, well, first they get discovered, and then the city gets Darwin's DNA. And so now it can adapt like they can adapt, which is a scary combination. (laughs) And so they start trying to escape and they can't. Yeah. So they, they get trapped inside the vault and they split up. Laura hunts alone. Sync finishes construction of a stasis system to preserve the DNA of the children that he's collected, which gives, I think allows him to, access more permanently to their powers though i'm not sure darwin evolves Evolves. adapting for isolation they come back together they plan uh, they try to assault the city and it fails man yeah they keep on trying and then we get introduced to they found a new child there's the child diamante was a living repository of vault history, which will be important to know yeah. for the X-Men going forward. And then we get just this quick little rundown of 
the vault's processing of creating the children of the vault. Mm-hmm. First iteration uh, ran into the X-Men in Brubaker's one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rogue's X-Men came across Children of the Vault. And that was considered the first generation of children. They lost. And then in this title, we get shown the second generation of the children. Yeah. And because they lost to literally three (laughs) X-Men. Yeah. The vault or the city learned that this is that they need to have another evolutionary leap. And so they're making a third and final generation of children to let loose onto the earth to claim it as their own. Yeah. And, and yeah, cool visual design changes. And then you also see some visual design changes of the three X-Men on the next page. And you see some, some signs that they are aging, right? Laura has a lock of, of gray hair. Sink has a big old beard and got some more of that man strength, right? Like he looks, he looks grown and they, they plan their fight and they lose and they get split up. As it, you know, this is kind of like a the way that the story is being told is that the graphic tells the overview first, and then you get like scenes from it within the actual comic pages. So Sync basically gets out outside of the vault's temporal bubble, waits a week, re-enters over a century later, and then it says, "Freeze, Laura. Darwin cannot be located." They continue to search for him, refusing to leave him behind. They capture Serafina, one of the children, and now, from copying her powers, get a full data core knowledge of the city, including Darwin's location. And so now you get like some snapshots of the decades of life that Laura and Sink live together. His beard is turning gray. And he recounts a story from his childhood, from his dad, who tells him, do you know the difference between caring for someone and loving someone? If you love them, you're willing to die for them. That's the difference. That's how you know it's real. And alongside that, they finally, you know, find Darwin, recover him, escape. Wait, do they? Yeah. Do they recover him? Not. No. He they get to where he's being held. Yeah. And then they use Darwin to set off another explosion. Right. They get out. It's like location of Darwin discovered, relations of the Diamante City did a core alignment. Yeah. And then you have basically notes prior to the Kirkcro era, mutant projections of mutant displacement required the creation of third generation children. Post establishment of Kirkcro and era mutant dumb, third generation children no longer projected to be successful in displacement protocol. Fourth generation children required. But then they get Darwin, and they're able to be, use his powers to yeah. create basically, the, the type of adaptations that they need to yeah. create this fourth generation that is capable of, you know, destroying Krakoa in the world. So that's yeah, cool. It says fourth generation children beyond the current capabilities of the city, which is wild. <laughs> yeah, right. And then examination of the mutant Darwin's acquired genetic material reveals highly adaptable evolutionary structure acquired the mutant Darwin subject Darwin atomization and reconfiguration loop count 10,278 genome integration achieved harmonic convergence possible subject Darwin final atomization and biomass seeding complete fourth generation children now possible begin child evolution yeah so they they finally just decide Laura and sink 
I keep calling him Sink Everett. <laughs> they they keep uh, they decide it's it's time to just get out. They get through this sort of like shield field thing that strips them both completely hairless and naked. And one last kiss, and Laura holds off the children while Everett escapes. And he gets out of the vault, dies pretty much immediately after, but is resurrected back on Krakoa alongside Darwin and Laura. And, you know, they get their memories back. And you get a repeat of that page where um, Sink is staring blankly sees Laura, she pops her claws, says, what are you looking at? And he smiles. And it's just a cool encapsulation. Like, you you were able to tell, like, an effective love story alongside. And and over this, he's he's reflecting on his dad's words about how, you know, to love someone means you'll you'll die for them. But he says, these are useless words, human words, because, you know, mutants, we've, we've abolished death. So loving is not dying for someone, it's living for right. someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think of the lifetimes I've spent with this person. I know them better than anyone else on the planet, More, maybe more than anyone ever will. I have to wonder, how do you explain such a thing? How do you even start the conversation? And yeah, just what a, what a, cool, what a cool love story to tell on the side of this crazy sci-fi infiltration, exfiltration story. But we also have some takeaways here. Mm-hmm. They have the so the children presumably still have Laura and Darwin's bodies. Yeah, and they well they've atomized Darwin. Yeah, they've been able to use him completely for their own evolution, which is terrifying. Fourth because generation his, of children because yeah. his powers are ridiculous, but they're like passive, right? Like he responds to situations. So if they're able to put in this, this uh, in the vault, which is all about like iteration testing, like if they poke and prod and, and use those proactively, mm-hmm. who knows what they're going to be able to come up with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Something that kind of stands out to me that I think about more in, I think volume eight is that they resurrected Laura. Yes. Oh, despite her being a clone. She's a clone of Wolverine. However, however, she's a blend of Wolverine DNA and her mother's DNA. Right. Not Laura Kinney. What Dr. Kinney? I forget her first yeah, name. Sarah. I but think. so so she is a blend of two people's DNA, but she's technically a test tube baby. But right. she is a clone of Logan. Whereas Scout is just a straight clone of Laura. Yeah. Scout is ineligible for mm-hmm. resurrection, as as was Madeline Pryor, right? Because she's a straight clone of Gene, right? And that's a caveat that I'm not okay with. <laughs> 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 oh man, just yeah. I mean, <sighs> I don't want to say they had to draw a line somewhere, but like that uh-huh. is that's a split hairs. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see what that leads to. If it's going to create more narrative tension in the future, or if that's just mm-hmm. like some of the ground rules that they set in order to tell the stories that they wanted to. Right. Do you want to move along to Marauders? We need to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My God. 
Let's see. Oh, right. Okay, so Marauders outside of King and Black, they basically want to go and thank the family that took care of Lockheed as he was healing from Shaw's attack on Kate's life. And all of Lowtown Madripoor, which Madripoor is being targeted by Verendi, the Hellfire kids, basically. And they're trying to pave it all over and and build high-rise condos, essentially. Gentrified all the place. Yeah, so in going to thank them, that's how they find out about it. And Mm -hmm. Kate is like, I have an idea. Hey, Emma, can you send me some of the Marauders black card (laughs) money? (laughs) And uh, let's just buy up every single bit of property of Lowtown that we can. And um, let's make this a good place for mutants and, you know, Madriporians to hang out. <laughs> and they build a hospital. And then which, they build a hospital. And they, they bring in Mask to be their, you know, head plastic surgeon. Well, which is... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, they do do that. Yeah. But there is a scene before that. Sorry. Yeah, important scene. <laughs> yeah. So... They're doing this like ribbon cutting ceremony for yeah. the hospital and Proteus is there and Proteus is one of the five. And he is also the son of Moira McTaggart. Yes. Who we and know they are naming the, the hospital, the Moira McTaggart Memorial <laughs> Hospital. Yeah. And so they reveal the name and it is Moira McTaggart Memorial. Proteus is choked up. The Marauders are super proud. Magneto and Charles are there and they're like, oh, <laughs> they're like, my God. <laughs> and they <laughs> unveil a statue of her as well. Yeah. With her classic little hat. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, and then there's another panel of Xavier and Magneto clapping very tentatively, very concerned looks on their faces because they're <laughs> the only two people who know that she's alive. She is a yeah. secret to literally everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have Kate thanking Emma yeah. for, you know, making this happen. She's like, oh, of course. It was worth it just for the look on Eric's and Charles' faces. She doesn't <laughs> even know. She, doesn't she even has know. no idea. Yeah. Oh, it's my great. gosh. Anyway, so, yeah, Mask gets brought in. And, and he's hilarious. He is. I love what they're doing with Mask here. I know I've ranted about it previously in Dawn episodes, but like he was such a ridiculous character before. He's like, yes, I will make the world ugly. Ah, (laughs) Right. And just like a real, like one note, one dimensional villain. And, you know, in Krakoa, they have him on a retirement community playing golf, all of that. And then Callisto brings him in to use his powers as a plastic surgeon. He heals a cleft palate and he's like, it's oh, this adorable. is adorable. He's like, yeah, they hug him and he's like, oh my God, like <laughs> I did that and and people enjoyed it. Like I did something good. It, it's mm-hmm. he's like touched. Yeah. It's the most yeah. adorable thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know mask, and I'm just like, oh mask. <laughs> it I it great use of this character great rehabilitation of this character from something just totally pulpy and and yeah one note to you know building a real real character here Mm -hmm. 
as far as more Marauders drama, mm-hmm. we get Child Frankenstein, who is a descendant of the real Frankenstein. Yes. He's also a member of Randy. He has been going around recruiting new Reavers, basically. All the new yeah. Reavers are people who have been dismembered or injured <laughs> by mutants in the past 16 Inclu- volumes. Including <laughs> that one scene that you were one of my favorite so scenes stoked on with Iceman. Oh my gosh. Loose. Yes. The guy that gets his arm frozen off due to frostbite and ice and ice man is now Reaver and his arm has been replaced by, you know, Reaver tech laser gun type things. And the, yeah, the Reavers like, originally hey. it, it's a great callback too, because the original Reavers were Hellfire Club employees who Wolverine fought his way through, you know, <laughs> injured, dismembered, etc. When X-Men were captured by the Hellfire Club during the Dark Phoenix saga. And then they were cyborgified by Donald Pierce and Lady Deathstrike. Mm. And maybe Lady Deathstrike wasn't part of it yet, but she was later and cyborgified and brought out to wreak their vengeance on the X-Men. So this is the exact same thing, right? Yeah, basically. The exact same setup and storyline for, for new Reavers. Yeah. So they're basically saying, yeah, we're literally all the humans that you guys have fucked up. So yeah. there's the mercenaries from the ship that Iceman screwed over. There are the people that Wolverine has stabbed multiple times in Magikor. Yeah. And then the goons that were hired at Davos as a yeah. side effect of one of the best issues of comics written yeah. <laughs> in X-Men number four at the, yep. at the World Peace Summit. Yep. And then it's just Frankenstein being like, all right, I can give you guys some new, some new uh, upgrades if you want. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so this has been fun. This well, has Davos been fun. was the World Economic Forum, which is quite the opposite from a World Peace Summit. But anyway, sure. <laughs> but the World Summit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it also kind of is starting to show the limitation of their kill no human policy, right? Because yeah. all of these people who they use less than lethal means are are only being brought back with more hate and more power. Thanks to stupid-ass Donald Pierce and his ugly-ass haircut. So bad. And then moving along here. And the next issue of Marauders. Is this where we get the interview with with Carnation? With Jumbo Carnation? Because I love that interview. (laughs) Yeah. So we get some Morlocks being brought in. Callisto, you know, pulls together this plan basically to do a full assault on... Verendi and Winback Lowtown, etc., which includes Kate planning a gate in the sewers and then a very deniable team of marauders, or sorry, not marauders, Morlocks, Hump and Brute, who are some real deep cuts, <laughs> and Bliss, also an incredibly deep cut. She is she's creepy. In, she's in her Jean Grey body here, actually. Mask would just remake her body constantly to look like different people or different X-Men. She was Storm for a little while. I guess she's still Jean. Yeah. And Marrow, a.k.a. Sarah. 
Mask is really, you know, upset. He's like, we've got to, <laughs> we've got to take care of this hospital. We've got to make sure this good thing that we're doing is able to, to <laughs> stick around. So let's go crack some skulls. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So yeah, the, 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 the Morlocks get it done. Bliss has the creepiest power in the world. She's got this like uh, alien yeah, style t- tongue face thing that comes out of her mouth and bites people. So gross. It's really creepy. Yeah. And then Bishop gets inside Verendi headquarters and, you know, takes care of Frankenstein's Reaper creation lab. And the day seems to be one. <laughs> Bliss drinking alcohol, super creepy. Ugh. Just the entire the entire tongue face going down into into a glass of liquor head first. Ugh. Ugh, so weird. Yeah. And then Ugh. the interview with Jumbo. Was that close? Yeah, that's where it happens. Yeah. So there's this underlying tone plot point of everyone's getting ready for the Hellfire Gala and Jumbo Carnation is a four-armed costume design fashion designer that is world-renowned and he's a mutant and he works for Emma and gives her all the greatest dresses and gowns and yeah anyway fantastically campy gay man yes He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I've fallen so much in love with him. I, I love this character. Phenomenal character. <laughs> so he's designing get-ups for all of the mutants, basically. Mm-hmm. And the gala is in a couple of weeks. And so he's getting interviewed by the Daily Bugle of just like, how the hell are you coming <laughs> up with all these? How are you pumping out all of these suits and dresses for everyone? He's like, oh. So we have these other <laughs> we have these <laughs> other mutants here on Krakoa, Jamie Madrox and the Cuckoos. <laughs> Jamie Madrox, multiple man, can basically create an infinite number of hands for me. Yeah. And then as soon as I come up with the design, the Cuckoos can implant those thoughts into each Madrox clone. And so <laughs> I have my own production line. <laughs> basically all know exactly what i want how i want it and every little like detail yeah and download the skills to do it yes so cool it's awesome i've met like that is an application of mutant powers totally yes this actually is one of the first things that i came across that made me bring up that conversation uh that i brought to the ethics chaps Oh yeah! Like it would be really cool to do a episode of, if no superheroes, how superpowers? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. when you have, the, I never would have thought of this application <laughs> of a fashion designer, infinite hands and infinite mental capacity. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's just so like cool. <laughs> being able to infinitely replicate skilled labor. That's awesome. Right? Oh, so cool. Hey, guys. This is post-recording Will here. This episode went kind of long. <laughs> so uh, we're splitting into two episodes. So this is the end of part one. And um, I'll see you in the next episode.